Hi everyone, this is the Equestrian Connection from WeHorse, the online riding academy. My name is Christian Grober and in today's episode I am talking to Neil Jones. Neil is one of the leading experts in finding the perfect match between horse and rider. Coming from Europe, he is now based out in Wellington, close to the epicenter of the sport in Florida, and we are talking about how to find actually a horse that not only fits to your riding skills, but also is a great partner. Before we start, we have recently published another batch of wonderful great courses on WeHorse, our e-learning platform, and one of them is from the great Anja Beran from Germany. She is one of the leading experts in classical dressage and she actively reshapes the image we should have in our minds in terms of a young horse's outline and the way of going. The course Classical Dressage Training the Young Warm Blood is now available for members on wehorse.com and I would say let's go with the interview with Neil Jones. Welcome to the show, Neil Jones. Hi, Neil. Hi, how are you? I am very well. How are you? I, can, I couldn't be better. Wonderful. You are at the moment in Wellington, Florida. You are specialized actually in bringing yeah, horses and riders together and uh, you import world-class horses um, into the country. You run a training facility in Wellington. Um, and you are specialized actually in finding the perfect match between horse and rider. What's the perfect match? Is there even a perfect match? Okay, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, the perfect match is, uh, is, is always uh, depending on, in my opinion, depends on the rider. Because if we're talking about an amateur rider, you know, the perfect match is something totally different than somebody who is already a professional. You know, if we find a good six or seven years old for a good professional and produces it to be a Grand Prix horse, then we've done our job and then they had a perfect match. Whereas if we have uh, an amateur person who's jumping 110, 120 and has aspirations to jump more, you know, then the horse has to have a little bit more ability and a little bit more rideability. And especially I find that the horses in the, in the USA, that the people they're looking for the horses, they need to have a lot of rideability. So rideability is key, um, but what are characteristics I would need to look for? If I'm, let, let's say I, I'm an amateur rider, or, or maybe we can mm. also look at both dimensions, what are traits I, I need to look out for? Well, uh, you know, typically in the amateur horse, we, you know, uh, in principle, the jumping, the, the rings are the same. You know, we have different, you know, they have different classes here. As opposed to Europe, you know, where you have a one meter, a 110, 120, 130, et cetera, where you have specifically amateur classes. Um, and, you know, there are several different things. You know, the rideability is, is, is key, but we, we also need uh, a special, you know, the horse needs to be really, really easy going in the collecting ring because in America, it's a different setup. You know, basically you have your own jump. There's four, four fences uh, to warm up and they're close together and everybody keeps one fence so it's not like europe where maybe one or two people are sharing the same jump or even more so we need to make sure that these horses for the amateur people are quiet uh they don't get spooked uh because sometimes when you start jumping all together like that some of these horses start to get horse shy especially when you're going in two different directions you mentioned that the equation is a little different for for the uh, professional rider um what's different there 
if you look at how horse and rider can can work together as a team, uh, how do those differ, the amateur and the professional? I think the in, amateur, in based, yeah, in my view, the amateur uh, in America, you know, they have a full-time job, not with horses, and they want to come usually on a Thursday. The professionals already ridden their horse maybe in the ring in another class. And then when they get here, the horse has to be ready. You know, they don't have time to sit on and school the horse and et cetera, et cetera. They want to walk the course with the trainer and then they want to get on the horse and they want to jump the class. So it needs to be, the market needs to be geared up that the horses need to be absolutely ready and the client gets on and has the most fun they can have for three days of jumping because they don't have time. They come specifically for their classes Whereas a professional is uh, there from Tuesday at the beginning of the week on the show. You are a horse dealer by heart. You actually, before we started here the podcast, we have been already uh, chatting a little. You told me that you started when you were 15, right? Yeah, I left school uh, around about 14 or 15 years old and I rode and I rode with Michael Whitaker. I groomed horses and I was luckily enough, I had uh, some stables at the back of the pub that we had you know in england we have these public houses and uh, my parents said okay if you're not going to go to school you need to do something so i started to buy some horses ride a little bit and then resell them and that's how i started and th there was never any any other option you were always full throttle on on well, horse stealing no i i for, for a small while i thought i could actually make it uh, in the ring riding horses and making money by show jumping and being a professional rider. But that came to an abrupt end when I was working for Michael Whitaker and I just asked him one day, I said, listen, you'd think I have what it takes. And he said, no, he said, you better do something else. You don't have the talent. So actually I have to thank Michael for that probably because it was probably the best advice I ever got. So you never tr tried it yourself on the saddle, really on the, on the higher no. level? No, at a higher level. No, I mean, I did used to when I went out to trying horses. You know, I did try horses myself sometimes. But honestly, I still do to this day. I buy a lot of horses off the ground and don't even sit on them myself. But, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, I enjoy. Actually, recently I started to ride out again and do some exercise work just to, just to you know, just to take myself away from doing whatever else I was doing. So. And, and back in the days um, when you were um, in Britain, you basically took the truck, went to continental Europe. And yeah. um, w when you've been on the way back to Britain, you already called up some potential clients. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, uh, years ago, I used to drive the truck over there myself. And I used to buy, buy four or five horses, not too expensive. I'd drive around Belgium, Holland, Germany, and then we'd get the paperwork done. And then I'd drive back and... But those days, the phone didn't work in, in outside of Britain. You know, as soon as I got back, my cell phone worked. And as soon as I landed, I would phone people I knew were looking for horses. And I had sort of an advertent, adv advertisement running the whole time in magazines. And then people would call me and they say, we're looking for a four-year-old. And then I did actually a lot of dressage horses because there was not many people importing dressage horses. So I'd buy a lot of three-year-olds, four-year-olds that moved well. And just because they moved well, they were easy to sell. If I'm... Today, a uh, an ambitious rider would I always need to look into um, imported or an imported horse, or is that actually just something that is, yeah, a nice thing but not not really required or only on a certain level? W what's your take on that? 
No, I, I don't. Uh, I don't think that's totally necessary. I mean, the problem is, uh, you know, here in, in in the states that the breeding is there are some people, but it's few and far between, and they're still, you know, getting up and uh, and going. I do believe that you can still buy some horses depending on on what you want that are not imported. But I would say you're going to have to find a horse that has been imported usually if you want to progress a little bit here. You mentioned the breed. Is it actually important whether it's a Hanoverian, Holsteiner, Dutch horse, Belgian horse, Saint-Francais? Yeah, I'm a little bit biased, but you know, I think that uh, I don't like to say uh, that it needs to be a sort of German or a French horse or whatever or a breed. I think that um, if the horse has, uh, you know, you know, we 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 see now so many times. Uh, I have several horses myself with a French father and a Belgian mother or a French father and a German mother and vice versa. So I think uh, if you, you know, breeding is important. It's, it's super important, but it doesn't uh, put me off going to see a horse that's not well-bred. In the beginning of, um, of our podcast, we already talked about what's the secret sauce and the relationship between horse and rider. Um, and you said the most important part is actually um, the rider um, and then in combination with the horse in in the sport we we have seen and and still today have so many phenomenal combinations what is actually the secret of really a phenomenal combination between horse and rider i think that you know i mean over the years i've had some some amazing riders you know uh Lorenzo De Luca, Carl Cox. I mean, the list, you know, goes on. I've had maybe 12 or 15 different riders. And it's funny because I have a new rider at the moment, one Carlos Garcia, who uh, rides for Italy and he's ridden the Olympics for eventing and for show jumping. And uh, today, for the first time, I put him on a, a horse that he hasn't ridden because we've been at shows. And I said to him before he got on, I said, you're going to like this horse. And afterwards he said, oh my God, he's my favorite horse. I just think that, you know, once you know the rider and you know what they like, it's easier, you know, and that's a little bit of thing that I've always tried to do. You know, some people like horses that they, they need to put a lot of pressure on. Some people like horses that, that have a lot of blood. So I think you have to, when you're selling people the horse, you, you have to take that into consideration, watching videos of the people. I very often ask when people say, oh, we're coming to look at the horse. I ask them to send me a video. And that's just basically to get an idea of what they are, how they ride, because unless they're professionals, you, then you're not going to change the style of their riding. They ride how they, they ride, you know, if they're a professional, it's a, you know, they can adjust their, with their ability, they can adjust to ride something because if it's a good horse, they will adjust their rideability. Yeah. But an amateur, and we're selling mainly to amateurs that, you know, they, uh, the horse needs to suit them. And, The amateur rider, how how many horses um, on average in in your experience do they need to try? I mean, they, they, there are some people that try 15 horses and don't find one. Others, the first one is a match. Yeah, I mean, uh, we actually had somebody here um, this week and uh, they they posted on Instagram. I saw it. The, so they were here on Tuesday and they said the daughter tried 18 horses in one day. And then their idea was to cut that down to not my horses, but I, I let them try one of mine and they tried 18 horses. And then their idea was the next day to cut it down to three or four and just retry. But actually the child was so tired the next day. 
she sort of had to have half a day off because, you know, they'd done so much. So I don't think that, I think what you have to do, you have to work with your trainer and the person who's selling the horse. Uh, I prefer if the client's already had the vet check or at least the x-rays of the horse, that we're not wasting anybody's time, not ours or the clients. And I think that if you can scale it down to five, four or five horses a day, six maybe, uh, if you go into a small area, I think the trouble is people try so many and in the end they get confused. Um, I think if you, you do your homework before you go to try the horses and you research the videos and you research the results and, and all the rest of it. I mean, I think that if you, um, you know, the trainers need to do their jobs. A lot of the time, that's a bit of a problem. You know, if you're dealing with McLean Ward, it's easy because he's going to say, okay, I know what I'm looking at. Yeah. But, you know, some of these trainers, uh, you know, basically to be a professional trainer, you just say you're a professional trainer. It's not like, uh, I think in Europe, they're a little bit more people when they say they're professional, they really are professional sometimes yeah. here. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit varied from which area and which person. But I do, I, I personally, if I'm going to look horses myself, you know, it's different. If I'm going to look at young horses, I, I can be finished in ten minutes. If I don't like the horse, I'm, I'm out. And maybe I made a mistake. But I think when amateurs come, I think they should look four or five horses. It's enough. How important is it to convince my trainer that it is, it is the right horse? Uh, I think the trainers need to do their due diligence. That's a huge thing over here, you know, that the people, you know, trust in their trainers and the trainers get commission usually when they purchase a horse. So I think, you know, I, I obviously have a conversation usually before the trainers come and I tell them what I think about the horse and, and you know, what the good part of the horse is. And, and you know, if there's anything that's not good, I'm going to declare that and say, look, this is the only problem is it's, X, Y, Z, or Z. But I think that you need to build up a relationship with those trainers. And once you have that relationship, what I found is it's very easy to sell the horses once you've already sold good horses to the people. Especially amateur riders, if they are not located in in or around the equestrian hubs, like Florida or maybe around yeah. New York uh, or in California. Um, yeah, we, we have people here from Las Vegas last week. You know, yeah. Las Vegas is a is an area that there are not too many uh, horse facilities. So they have to go to California or Europe or, or Wellington to try horses. But even, I mean, we're not talk now talking um, at the end of 2021. People are, are checking out horses on their cell phone. They get over Instagram stories. I see so many uh, horses also being for sale. And there are horses being sold without having um, tried them. How do you view this development that not necessarily everyone is still doing their due diligence and actually looking at the horse, looking at the horse rider combination and really making the travel to the, to the facility where the horse is at and trying it out, which is normally uh, obvious, but it, it doesn't happen always. How, how do you view this? I think since COVID came in, I think we've seen the uh, the surgence of, uh, of of auctions. You know, what I mean, I did. I started an auction together with uh, Hendrix's uh, many years ago, and, and Eve Outakers. And then at that time, there was maybe one or two auctions. Now, every time I look, there's an online auction somewhere. Or, and I think this is because a lot of people are buying off videos or off, uh, you know, off 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 the internet, or off social media, or off Instagram. And I think that nowadays 
that you have so much, you know, digital technology, we can send the x-rays to the vet in and, you know, anywhere you want in the world, he can give you a read on it straight away. You can also do a clinical exam and, 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 and film it live. So some people feel a little bit more comfortable than they did maybe 15 years ago, where you have to use a vet in Europe that you've never heard of before. And he says it's good. So I think things have gone from one extreme to the other a little bit. I, I personally think that for an amateur, they need to sit on the horse. For a professional, I think some of these people, they see what they like, and if they're willing to put the money down, then they'll do it, you know? We, you know, we, we, I have clients who have bought off Instagram, you know? It's just, I think it's a roll of the dice. It might work and it might not. So it eventually it boils down down to yeah as you said a roll of dice. There, if, I think it's if a roll of dice. Around. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a roll a roll of dice. I mean, if you uh, you can you can drop lucky and have the best horse you've ever had, and then or maybe you know maybe it's going to be a nightmare. I mean, I think that um, you know it's just the way of uh, of the world right now. It's the times people don't want to travel, let's say, to Europe. So they go online and they... I, I, I've met several people recently that bought horses online at online auctions in Europe. They've never seen the horse till it gets here. And, and some of them have been super happy, but, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm not sure that's going to be 100% uh, a positive thing in the future, but uh, right now people seem to, seem to want to spend money. I mean, we've seen this. You've obviously seen it closer than I, but these auctions are making record amounts of money. Yes, um, in Europe, there are auctions that uh, really had record-breaking revenues. Um, and I think the, we, the the development is still not over. The sport is globalizing. I mean, in Wellington, yeah. you, you you feel it firsthand uh, how globalized yeah. the, sp the, the sport is these days. Yeah. Um, and I think you, you are completely right. It, it is eventually um, something where you need to have a good due diligence if you really want to have this special combination or, or horse that that really fits well unlike just another horse in the stable well yeah and i mean like you, you mentioned it yourself you know i mean the due diligence is one thing but the now the technology i mean we can you know if somebody tells me about a horse in europe we can go and clip my horse we can watch several videos of it we can yeah. go to to another company and look out the results we can check the fei results There are so many more tools than originally when we first started doing business, when we sent a video cassette to America and it took three days to get there. You know what I mean? We're so far advanced with the technology that even the vets can do a vet check and they can, they can, you know, have a zoom about the horse and talk about it like they're in the same room. So you've taken a lot of the risks out that were there for the sake of technology it's got better i think that you know we can uh, totally. you know, if, a vet is, if a vet is vetting a horse in europe and uh, and that he wants to call the vet in america and they can both look at it together you know via via a zoom or a facetime even they can do that and they can stop the vet check or they can let it go further or or whatever i think that the due diligence has become easier because you can follow the results of the horse you can see uh, all the medical records uh, there's so many different uh, attributes to it now Neil, at the end of every WeHorse podcast, um, we have the four ultimate uh, WeHorse questions. And I hope you are ready. Um, here's question number one. Do you have a motto? Yeah, the harder, you, the harder you work, the luckier you become. Cool. Question number two. 
who has been the most influential person in your equestrian life? Uh, I would probably say my mother, because uh, that's where it all started. And she gave me a good basics. You know, we weren't allowed to have horses until we could do everything ourselves. So we had to go out in the morning. We had to feed them. We had to clean the stalls before we went to school. So, uh, you know, I think that she was probably most influential. In that. And and she was really an enabler for you to, to she, get into the she had a love of She had a love of horses and that's how we got into it. I think because she liked it more than we did when we were very small, but eventually it grew on me and uh, my brother became a, a really good farrier and he's still a good farrier. So we both ended up in the horse world. Uh, although my brother was in the King's Troop Royal Horse Artillery for many years, which was still equestrian orientated. But I think that, you know, we could have gone anyway, but we ended up both in horses because of my mum's passion for it, I guess. Question number Three, if you could give equestrians one piece of advice, what is it? I think that, uh, you know, of course, everybody needs talent uh, to succeed. But, you know, work and work ethic, as somebody who employs people, you know, I really think that if you have a good work ethic, uh, some of the riders I've had, uh, I would say nearly all of them have a really good work ethic, you know. Uh, some, you, you know, they, they, the harder they work, the more you are going to give them as an employee. So the more you try to, uh, you know, benefit their career or get them better horses or whatever, because they put so much time and energy in themselves. So I think that that I would say that, you know, if you show the people that you are working with or working together with or for that you are 100% on board, that's going to take you a long way. And then complete this sentence. For me, horses are... Everything. Wonderful. Neil, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, Thank you. Inspirational podcast for all of you um, that are listening, that are at the moment looking for horses. Um, yeah, and um, enjoy your stay in Wellington and, and enjoy Florida. And... Um, Thank you, nice it's been weather. great talking to you. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Equestrian Connection podcast. To find more information, follow us on Instagram or visit wehorse.com, our e-learning platform with plenty of courses for all equestrians with brilliant experts from all around the horse world. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts if you are an Android user Check us out on Spotify or, frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like our show, please leave a review on Apple and now also on Spotify. And yeah, see you soon. Thanks for listening from WeHorse, the online riding academy. And tune in next time for the Equestrian Connection.